Hello, and welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino, and this is a podcast where I have conversations with people in healing professions about the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. And I am a psychotherapist, a teacher, a podcaster, obviously, a singer, a wife, a sister, a dog mom. I'm all kinds of things. (laughs) And I'm so glad that you're joining us today. Now, I've decided for the last two episodes of the year, I'm going to do something a little bit different. And why not? Because 2020 is all about doing things differently, right? To put it mildly. And I met this lovely human who's going to be joining us for our interview today on Instagram and reached out to her finally to ask her to be on the podcast. And as her story was unfolding and I was listening, I was I was realizing really the depth of importance of giving Natalie space to share her story. And it took more than an hour. And so I'm like, what the hell? Let's have a two-parter episode. So this is a first for us on Conversations with a Wounded Healer to do this, but I'm really excited to share Natalie's story with you. And also just want to note for listeners that Natalie does talk about some topics that can be really difficult to process. She's sharing some pretty intense trauma. So if you yourself have a trauma history, please be very gentle with yourself and and care for yourself in any way you need to as you listen to this episode. So before we dig into that, I also want to invite you, if you're here, Thank you, first of all. I appreciate that anyone listens at all. But if you want to do something to share a little bit with me and with the folks who help produce this podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcast. You can also share this episode or any episode with friends who you think might resonate. You know, I truly am interested in changing the conversation around healing in our culture. And I appreciate all all the people who can come along with me for that journey. Also, you could certainly join us on Patreon if you have any spare change this year. I know that that's quite a feat for many people, but if you do have any spare change and you want to donate to us on Patreon, you can do so at, at as little as a dollar, a dollar a month. And then finally, you can also follow us on social media. And I've said before, Instagram is my favorite place to connect and I'm there at Head Heart Therapy. So now let me tell you a little bit about the beautiful Natalie Lasseur. I'm going to read her bio the way she wrote it because it's different and I love that about her. She says, I am an adoptee, a survivor of acute, chronic, complex, and sexual trauma. She, her, mother, trauma-informed breathwork, embodiment, and meditation teacher. I am a business mentor and an intuitive. I am also the prez of the Light Collective, an online yoga community and school with a deep feminine resonance. I advocate for body agency, mental health, social justice, and action. I wish to see people not only survive, but thrive by cultivating a more heart-centered, sacred life through the practice of trust, humor, and loving kindness toward yourself and others. I am an embodiment, somatic, neuroscientific, and all things mind-body geek. A question I like to ask is, how do you show up in the world? So let's hear how Natalie shows up in the world. Please enjoy my interview. Hello, Natalie Lisser. How are you? I'm well, Sarah. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. 
Yeah. And you told me the little story of how you discovered me, and I'd love to share that with listeners. Oh, great. Okay. Well, I first fell in love with you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you flatter me so. Yeah. I listened to you or your podcast on The Trauma Therapist, and there were a few things that really struck me. Well, your honesty and your vulnerability really struck me. And a few things that you said, one being that you are on a healing journey yourself while also being a professional. And I think that that's something that needs to be talked about more, I suppose. There's this kind of idea that everybody has to have it together before they become whatever it is, a professional. And so also you talked about how you cannot be in relationship with people who aren't authentic. I just can't. (laughs) I just can't. I can't. Well, either can I, either can I. Yes. So that's something that really struck me. And I loved that you talked about that. And again, just really being very honest. And then you talked about your podcast, The Wounded Healer. So I started to listen to it. And I really, I just enjoyed the different people that you interview, like Mm. just people from all walks of life. I recently listened to the one with the guy who, he's a woodworker. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Jeremy. Yeah, Jeremy. I just really like listening to how people arrive where they are, I suppose, and that there is this really lovely honesty about it Mm. because I think we just all need to get a little real. Fuck yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you. And then we connected on Instagram. Yeah. So that's how you ended up here. So folks, Mm. the way to my heart is through Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Enough about me. This is about you. So will you tell people more about who you are and what it is that you do? Well, I am currently a meditation and breathwork teacher. And I am continuing to do a lot of training in embodiment and somatic work. And I'm very interested in kind of energetic work. So, I mean, it's ongoing and I work with my beautiful friend and colleague, Slam Pascal, and the business is The Light Collective. Mm-hmm. And we've just become a yoga school, but it's a beautiful, big community and I'm involved in holding space for people when we go on retreat. And I kind of just work energetically, I suppose. Mm. I'm not really one for labels. My work just kind of develops, I suppose, as I go along. That's wonderful. And I love the light collective. I love the energy around that, like Mm. name and, and just everything I've seen about your work. Cyan, it just looks like something really, really special that's been created. Yeah. Well, we feel like our business has its own entity, right? It's like just an energy. Mm -hmm. It's just an energy that has just grown and we attract like-minded people mm-hmm. and it's just really developed. And I, I think originally we were all in community, weren't we? And yeah. I think that's something that's really missing. And this rising of the feminine, 
which I feel is happening all around. It's all a part of that. And so we're just kind of going with it. And it's like the universe is, you know, we're Mm -hmm. in it and it's just happening. Yeah, it's just beautiful. It is. And here it's terrifying because you you asked Mm. how things were here. And we're we're recording this before the election in the U.S. And it's interesting that I saw online somewhere that the countries that are faring the best right now all have female leaders. (laughs) Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And now Say no more. <laughs> you're in Australia, right? And is is there a female leader there? Or is it just New Zealand? No, no, that's okay. New Zealand. But okay. we're not far. Right. Yes. And we and we all adore her. What's her name? I don't even know. I'm such a Jacinta Arden. I'm such an American centric asshole. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's also really interesting because what's kind of coming out, I suppose, in this time is we are watching also, the world is watching. And I think that for Americans, it's interesting because we have to vote here. It's compulsory. Our vote is sacred, you know, our right to vote. Mm -hmm. And we understand, I mean, I, I have a lot to do with refugees and they've never had the right to vote. So they really hold it in high regard, I suppose. And while the world is watching you, I feel like the message is that We really want you to understand that this is not solely an American kind of choice. It's a Mm -hmm. choice for the world. It's a choice for the world. Right. Right. Yeah. And just like you said, like we really are all in this together. And I know from a spiritual perspective, that's part of the lesson of this time, right? Is to remember that we are not just individual beings, that what we do affects others around us. And there couldn't be a clearer teacher of that than COVID, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, extraordinary times, really. Yeah. Unbelievable. But we digress. I want to know more about you. So yes. I'd really love to know because you don't you don't wake up one day and be like, oh, all of a sudden I'm going to be this healer, breathworker person. Like, what was your journey like to? And I I know you haven't arrived in that like you're done and, and a finished product or anything. But how did you arrive in the place that you are now? Well, I'm adopted. So I was given up by my mother who was a teenager Hmm. and I was actually taken from her by her mother and the local parish priest. And initially I was adopted into a really loving family and then everything kind of went quite south. My mother became very unwell and she had a few stillbirths and... Hmm a few miscarriages. Then she started drinking quite heavily and she had a lot of addiction. Mm. And then she ended up being institutionalized. And when I was six, so this is my adopted mother. And my two siblings at the time moved in with my then father and I was left with my mother. I think perhaps I was actually my mother's choice to have, if I really think about it. So I ended up living with her. So at the time, it was not a gift, but I see it as one now. It was quite the struggle. 
And so I grew up with her in and out of institutions. Wow. There was a lot of addiction. There were a lot of people that went and came. I was in a lot of different housing. So I used to kind of disassociate a lot when I was a kid. Mm. And I had quite the imagination, (laughs) which was good. And I also had a lot to deal with. So Mm -hmm. watching her, I feel like taught me a lot. I kind of grew up feeling very unsafe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very disassociated, but really didn't know what that was, I suppose. So fast forwarding, I got to around the age of 10 and probably had a few addictions myself mm-hmm. at a very, very young age. Mm-hmm. And I decided I didn't really want to be here on the planet, mm. which again was something that you spoke about. I think, you know, things were not talked about. Everything mm-hmm. was a secret. Yes, and I do. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why I really gelled with you listening to the podcast was that kind of idea of growing up, things not being spoken about and you kind of just had to get on with things and it was extremely difficult. So by around the age of 10, I decided I wanted to take my own life. My mum had a bunch of sleeping tablets, which I took, Mm. and I think I just slept for about three days. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And then I woke up. And I suppose that also brings to light the fact that nobody was really around watching me. Right. The fact that I was asleep for three days. Right. Well, and I mean, I was just struck by the fact that you were 10 and the intensity, like I know, I remember that feeling and I can really tune into that, what it felt like to be a scared child. And for it at 10, for you to decide this just isn't, I'm opting out of this, like that's how bad it was, right? And I'm just so struck by that. Thank you for sharing that. I think that what happens is that something has to shift, right? And I think that it was so interesting because when I came out of that, I really decided that I I didn't want to die. I really wanted to, you know, I always had a little bit of hope and a bit Mm -hmm. of a spark, I suppose. There was something, I've always had a great sense of humour. So there were just these little things and my imagination, I suppose, growing up. I mean, when I talk about the universe, I just feel like there were just these little kind of magical things around me that Mm. kind of just pulled me out slowly And there was Mm. just, you know, as tiny as it was, it was there. So anyway, then that part of my life was pretty intense. I kind of fell into a relationship in my local church with the parish priest and he really groomed me and (sighs) it went on for about two years. It was pretty intense, but at the time I was very disassociated Mm -hmm. and very kind of split off and just kind of scrambling for attachment, Mm -hmm. I suppose. Of course you You know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that abuse ended quite quickly because he was taken away. Funny about that. He was moved out of the parish. Oh, kind of like a cover-up essentially? Like we know you're doing fucked up shit, so... Instead of being fired and depriested or whatever you call it. 
Yeah, yeah. So anyway, and in that time, we moved around a lot and it was just a very intense time until I was about 13. And then again, I decided I wanted to kind of opt out a bit and I kind of got on with things. I was a part-time student. I didn't really attend school very Mm -hmm. much. And I was never, ever supported at all at school. I don't know what it was. It was like there just wasn't anyone around that was watching what was going on. And again, I just feel like nothing was ever talked about back then. It was so interesting. And then I ended up, when I was 16, I went to live with my grandmother. She's an incredible woman. She is now 99. She turns 100 in November. Oh, wow. And yeah, and she is the light, that woman. And she gave me a beautiful home and was unconditionally loving. Yeah, it was just so beautiful to be in a home that was so filled with love and Mm -hmm. energy. And then things started to turn for me. I was kind of doing a lot of exercise and I went back to school and I found some really beautiful friends who were very Hmm. open and accepting, both gay. So I feel like, you know, that community are always really open to and accepting of people that maybe are not straighty 180. (laughs) Anyway, I finished school and I moved from Melbourne to Sydney and I started my own business and Mm. I had a beautiful cafe there and I started my yoga journey there when I was about 20. I think it was the first time I really connected to myself going Mm -hmm. to yoga. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was going there just to do like a physical practice. You know, that's how they get you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's. I know. I feel like with the healing arts, you know, you kind of like you go in and you think you're just going to be having a stretch or you're going to mm-hmm. be enjoying a painting or whatever, and then whammo, your whole life changes. Right? There needs to be some sort of notification or something letting you know that that's about to happen. It was the first time I felt. I suppose the felt sense is a primary contributor to your sense of self. And I really started to feel myself in my body and I started to understand resonance and I really started to see the conditioning that had happened to me. But when I sat with myself, that all kind of melted away and I just felt my own essence, I suppose. Yeah. So it was, I think, leaving my kind of natural environment so my my natural family I suppose and then moving into this family Mm. where I physiologically weren't like them but kind of had to attach so I was not myself I was kind of trying to be what they were like but they're very different people to me so I felt really conflicted kind of growing up I could never truly be myself And so I would do that with my imagination and when I was on my own growing up as a kid. Hmm. So I just never really had the time or the understanding growing up that by connecting with myself like that, I could really feel into what it was to be truly me, I suppose. Well, it wasn't safe. 
I mean, the reason that you developed dissociation as a strategy was because who can survive that level of pain being fully mm. present? Yeah, well, well, I couldn't. And I suppose right. because my mom was schizophrenic. And so, you know, the idea of schizophrenia, it's very complex. But, you know, they would talk about delusions and they would talk about voices and I felt voices in my head, but it was really just my awareness, you know, my kind of like deep self. But because I only kind of knew this life, I thought there was something wrong with me, you know. Mm, mm, Of course. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, there were so many secrets and people didn't really talk about what was going on. It was just never discussed. And I think growing up, my mum, she spent a lot of time in therapy And I think in psych hospitals, sometimes you can't tell the difference between the doctors and the patient. Um, I felt as a kid. (laughs) That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I felt felt that as a kid. So I was very, I was very untrusting. So, I mean, I was hypervigilant. So I was always looking around, looking people in the eyes. And, you know, the doctors would be telling me things because I would be there with my mum. Oh, God. Parentifying me, Jesus. Yeah, well, I was. I I literally was the parent in our relationship. I really was. And I was until, you know, she passed away. But she was also the child of an alcoholic. Alcoholism, the gift that keeps on giving. Yes, that's exactly (laughs) right. That's exactly right. Mm Mm-hmm. So I suppose I never sought therapy because I didn't trust it because I watched what happened to my mom and how she was just heavily medicated and I could see her pain and I could see what was happening to her very clearly. But I suppose as a child, I never kind of questioned the authority. Well, yeah, because they're yeah. supposed to be the adults, supposedly doing the right things. Wow. Yeah, but that kind of happened in the so late 70s and 80s. And I think my mum pretty much had a physiological breakdown and needed to mm. go, you know, to a spa retreat for a week just to get over it. You know what I mean? Have some time out. She didn't need to be institutionalized, but she was. Oh. And when she was in there, she was given electrotherapy. And that's how the schizophrenia developed, I believe, because she wasn't the same person when she came out. Yeah, so intense. Wow. And so I had this kind of pretty crazy, wild childhood with a lot of mental illness, a lot of addiction, a lot of disassociation, a lot of secrets. And I really desired to feel safe and be in community and have a good life like I really wanted that more than anything and of course kind of how was I going to make that happen and that's I suppose where when I moved to Sydney I really started to kind of come home to myself and build that awareness and really have trust in myself wow That's incredible. And I love that I knew none of this. And yet somehow I knew you were going to be this amazing guest. Like, it's just, it's so incredible. And the the idea of coming home to yourself, like that's, 
that's what trauma work is. And it sounds like you resolved some trauma through yoga and the yoga community. And that ability to reconnect with self is what is lost with trauma. Well, that's exactly right. And I think that trauma, I feel like it's a separate, you know, that that part of my life now is very separate to Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. myself now, but it was all laid upon me. It wasn't me. So I think growing up, I had a lot of shame about what happened to me. And I know that you do a lot of work in that area, but I worked very hard to kind of understand what that was and then move myself out of it by connecting to myself, really. I think that it's very important to, I mean, I feel like I felt a lot of beauty kind of not disregarding my feelings, but actually moving towards them with a lot of empathy, a lot of self-empathy. Quit reading my mind. That's literally what I was going to (laughs) say. Yeah. And this kind of idea of being very gentle with myself, but also being quite precise with it because I know that I didn't deserve any of it. It was just the circumstances. And honestly, I just want to point out that that's pretty extraordinary that you came to understand that you didn't deserve any of it because part of the problem of of resolving trauma so often is that you said I had shame and it's almost as if it was this thing that was thrust upon you. But what we, we tend to do as adults is that we shame ourselves and it's we put it on ourselves and the the way out of it is exactly what you said is empathy and self-compassion. And that's what you did to recognize like I didn't deserve this. I deserve love. I deserve connection. That's truly extraordinary. Yeah, and I I really feel like I not only deserve love, but I am love. Mm. I really am. That just gave me goosebumps. I'll get teary. I had a pretty extraordinary moment when we were on retreat a few years ago where I realized that, you know, and I suppose I was always that. Mm. Yes. And I feel like you are that. I mean, you bring this community and this understanding out into the world for anybody to access. And Mm. it's just really beautiful. Thank you. Well, I have really historically struggled with self-compassion and and having empathy for myself. And it's something that fairly recently I've finally kind of come around to, you know, 41 years. Mm. 49 here, 49 here. Yeah, but I I appreciate you saying that because I know whenever I'm working with a client or talking to a friend about their struggles, one of the things that I often say is, I wish you could see yourself through my eyes, right? Like, I love you and you are just so amazing. So I'm, when people give me compliments now, I'm really trying to take it in and believe that it's true rather than just buying into the, but you don't know this, but this, but that, right? (laughs) That we can all, we can all fall prey to that. Yeah. And I mean, I do it. I even do it in Mm -hmm. my classes. Like, It's been very interesting because this idea of teaching for me or even speaking, I can speak one-on-one. People would think that I was quite extroverted, but I'm extremely introverted. (laughs) I think it's more about protection, really. Of course. I don't want people knowing my business. I find it very hard to kind of be open, but I feel like 
I'm scarred. Yeah. Uh oh. Well, then you should not be telling everybody this. <laughs> yeah. This this is your coming out because everyone's it actually heard this. is Sarah. It is Sarah. Aww. It's my coming out. Is it really? Yes. It's the first time I've ever really spoken. No way. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. This is like the most special thing. I'm so touched. I'm seriously, Natalie, I am beyond touched that you would choose my podcast to share your story with the world. Yeah. Well, I had an article written about me recently in our national newspaper. It's an article called The Two of Us. And I had talked to a friend of mine about it because when I fell pregnant with my first daughter, my husband and I took on a young Afghan refugee and he came to live with us and he's still very much a part of my family. And I was saying to her, oh, you know, we'd make a great two of us, which is this article that comes out every week in the weekend magazine. And it's about two people who are kind of unlikely come together and what their story is. And you get interviewed separately. So I don't know what he says and he doesn't know what I say. And then they edit it and put it together. And so she sent a message through to the paper and and then they wrote this article about the two of us. Wow. And I expressed a bit of what has happened in my life. So that was kind of the first big out. Yeah. And it was an amazing article and I have an incredible relationship with him and that's just a whole other story. He's an amazing individual and we've both taught each other a lot. And again, I think it really opens your eyes to understanding that we are all connected and we all want for the same things, right? He was a goat herder in the Barmian Valley in Afghanistan. And he ended up in a truck on a boat on a ship and then ended up out here in a detention centre and ended in Melbourne and then ended up, I read an article about him in the paper and my husband said, let's get in touch with the journalist, reach out to him. So we did and then we just all fell in love with each other. And he's really into Sufism, into philosophy, and he's very, yeah, he's very in touch with himself, and he's just an extraordinary soul. Mm. And yeah, it really makes you realize that we are all very, very connected. Absolutely, (laughs) and we'll we'll definitely share the link to the story in the show notes so that people can get a chance to read that too. Yeah, so. Just going back to my abuse when I was younger, I had never really told anybody about it. Mm. And there was an article in the paper that was about two girls who had told their parents that they had been abused by their parish priest. And Mm. one of them had killed herself and the other one had become an alcoholic and she decided to take her own life but she didn't die. She ended up a paraplegic. And, you know, I was sitting at breakfast reading this article and I just burst out into tears and my husband was like, what are you, what's happening? And I said, oh, I just want to go home. And he was like, do you want to talk about it? And I said, no. And so we came home and I just took myself off to bed and I was pretty upset. 
And then in this article, it said that down the bottom, it had some references and it said, if you have been in this situation or, you know, you want to talk to anybody, there's a great group of people called Broken Rights that you can call. And this group, what they were doing was they were collating all the information on all of the abuse within the Catholic Church. Wow. So anyone that had any information on anything, they could call them and speak to them about it. So that day I kind of thought "Mm, I should really call because they had a blacklist. So they would tell you if that priest was on the blacklist and then you could kind of go from there. So I went, my husband was in the garden because he's a serious gardener and I went down and kind of sat on the grass and I told him my story. I'd never talked to anybody about it and I told him what had happened to me and I said, I'm going to call these people and I'm going to ask them if his name's on that list because if his name's on that list, it means that I'm not the only one. Mm, so, Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, so I rang them and, of course, his name was on that list. Oh, my God. And not only was his name on the list, there were several stories about him. And so this Royal Commission ran for, I think it was two years, and I decided to go and speak at this Royal Commission and give my evidence. And I ended up taking the church to court and I won, which was a very, very big deal for me. And I think yeah. that... That was the change in me being able to speak Mm. and kind of come forward. You know what I mean? I had this really big kind of change in, it felt physiological. It felt like I was able to really direct my energy and champion myself, I think. That's what it was. And put myself first and kind of make it happen. So it's really interesting that we're having this conversation now because when this all took place at the very end of it, I mean, what they did was just incredible. They created a whole lot of false documentation. Mm -hmm. They tried to say that this never happened, that where it happened didn't exist. I mean, it really blew my mind because I thought they were coming in to just make peace and kind of finalise things, but they really tried again to discredit me. And that day was nine and a half hours it took to come to an agreement. And they brought a parish priest with them who wanted to speak with me about perhaps coming back into the church. Fuck off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No. They brought 17 people. They had 17 lawyers, they bought the biggest, the largest number to try and really intimidate me, Mm -hmm. intimidate me. It was extraordinary. But anyway, what I wanted to say was last week, so when I signed off, I had to sign a gag order, but they actually just changed the law in parliament last week and threw it out so (gasps) I can speak about this publicly for the first time. Holy shit. Yeah. Thanks so much to Natalie for being on the show. If you're interested in what Natalie had to say, please make sure that you tune in next week for the continuation of Natalie's story. (laughs) 
And thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please take care of yourselves and each other. Until next time, bye-bye.